Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at MyBookie. Don't look now, guys, but your boy mounted a comeback in the picks of the week this week, and it was my bookie that gave me all the best options to cash in on all the action this week, and they can do the same for you. It's simple, guys. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag. You have two great promo codes to choose from. Whatever works best for you, you can use our exclusive Glory UGA promo just by going to mybookie.ag, use our code UGA, and you get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit if you're a brand new user. But if you want to avoid the playthrough, which I get, you can use the other code, 200CASH, to get a straight cash bonus with no playthrough strings attached, and it's straight to your account. So whatever works best for you guys, take your pick. But get in on the action with mybookie today. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. And here's the deal today. We are having to adjust on the fly today. This is our Sunday night, Monday episode. I don't know when you guys normally listen to it, but we record it Sunday night, put it out Sunday night, but it's there for you Monday morning as you're heading to work. And this is Curtis's regularly scheduled weekly appearance, right? But just as I sent him the link to record today, he texted me that, hey, I'm out today, man, because he had a family thing come up at the last minute, and there's no worries there. Family has to come first. All good, completely good there. But that did leave me here trying to figure out what am I going to do? Because this was a mid-season report card episode that Curtis and I kind of been planning together and we're fully expecting to record together. But hey, sometimes you just have to adjust and make the best of a situation. So that is what we are going to do today. I'm never going to leave you guys hanging. But it's all good, guys, because we happen to have a star of the podcast who is willing to jump in and help at literally a moment's notice today. Charlie, yes, she is here to say today. Charlie, round of applause for you. Thank you so much. I mean, you I, when I say moment's notice, you were here. Like I texted you and you were here in what, five minutes? I mean, I'm ten minutes. I don't know. You said sure, why not? Let's go. Happy to help. So I greatly appreciate that. I know our listeners appreciate it. So thank you for being here today. I do have to ask you, I know that you we left off on Thursday night's episode, the Pix episode, where you were talking about how much you enjoy a good bye week. So I have to ask you, 
Did you enjoy your bye week? Did you make the most of it? I did thoroughly. Anything special happen? Just no. relaxing, yeah. riding bikes through the classic city. Yep. Which Good. I know you're apt to do. Good football, nice weather. It was a great weekend. Well, that's great to hear, Charlie. I'm glad you had a great weekend. How was your bye week? Oh, uh, I see a little glint in your eye. You you know how my well, my, yesterday was great. Today, um, not so much. So. Those of you who follow the podcast might or might not know that, yes, the Athath was this weekend. I always run the Athath. And um, yeah, Charlie, um, didn't go so well. I, I'm not 100% sure what happened. I think I either came down with food poisoning or a stomach bug of some sort. Let's just say um, it was touch or go. With, I don't I don't put TMI out there, but like there were more than a few pit stops. Is that fair to say? I don't want to gross anybody out, but anybody who's had food poisoning or a stomach bug, you can probably get where I'm going with this. Um, and, and imagine trying to run a half marathon under those conditions. I did it. I did it. I finished. And um, I did manage to avoid making it a half marathon to remember for all the wrong reasons, but it also was not a half marathon to remember for all the right reasons. It was my worst time ever for an half because of course it was. I mean, I probably, in retrospect, Charlie probably shouldn't have run it, right? I mean, probably prob- not. Probably should have done that. But hey, man, when you train for three months for it, you got to give it a shot. But um, yeah, not a great experience, but I'm alive. I'm here. Still not feeling super great. Have no appetite whatsoever. Do not want to even look at food. But uh, I guess we'll get over that before Jacksonville, I hope, because we, we got to make the most of that trip. Well, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, I'm sure I will. But um, today was touch and go, to say the least. But anyway. Um. I'm glad you had a great bye weekend, Charlie. Yesterday was great watching college football. I mean, obviously, I love going to the George games, but being able to sit back and watch all these other games, it was a great weekend of college football, a bunch of great games, so I did thoroughly enjoy that. And about halfway through the day yesterday, I don't know, ate something? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's weird, but yeah, I survived. I survived. All right, anyway, enough of that. I know no one cares about that. Mid-season report card time. And here's what we're going to do today, guys. I think, I think... There's a good chance Curtis will be able to jump on tomorrow. So I, in hopes of that being the case, I don't want all of his prep work, because we both did a lot of prep work for this episode. I don't want all his prep work to be for nothing. So today, we're going to limit this to the offensive side of the ball. We're going to give you our offensive grades. And then tomorrow, hopefully, Curtis will be able to jump on with me and do the defensive grades. Hopefully, I don't know, I can't promise that. We'll see. But if not, guys, we will have those grades for you one way or another. The original idea was to do offense and defense all in one mega episode, but, you know, then the break sometime. You just got to make the most of it. So here we are, and I'm, this is where I'm going to turn things over to Charlie. You are going to kind of carry us through this, and I'll give you my, my grades and my thoughts on each position unit. All right, well, we're halfway through the 2023 season, more or less, which means we've seen enough to grade this Georgia offense at the halfway point of the SEC schedule. It has experienced its share of ups and downs so far, but Tyler, what grade would you give the Georgia offense overall through the first half of the 2023 season? I know, Charlie, that a lot of our listeners are probably going to disagree with this grade that I'm going to give our offense. I know that we have not always been hitting on all cylinders offensively. I know that people expect to to score more points than the 24 that we score against South Carolina. Considering that we scored 40, what, 48 against them last year, I know that people expect us to score more than 27 points on the road against Auburn. And I certainly know after beating Vanderbilt 55 to nothing and 62 to nothing in back to back seasons, a lot of fans certainly expect us to score more than 37 points against the Commodore. So I understand why some people in the fan base, maybe some of you listeners out there, would not grade the offense as highly as I am about to. But I am going to lay this out for you. I will defend myself. You don't have to agree with it, but I'm going to defend this ranking. 
I am going to give our offense overall right now an A-. And I'm not going to tell you that it has been perfect from the jump. It has not. We have had moments, we have had halves of football that were not up to our standard. That's clear. I'm not trying to ignore that. But that doesn't tell the whole story of this offense. Right now, guys, I know numbers are not everything. I understand that. But they can also be very instructive. They are something, right? Especially when you have so many different numbers, a variety of statistical measures telling you that this offense is operating at a very high level. Right now, guys, we are second in the SEC in top eight nationally in total offense, yards per play, and scoring offense. In fact, we are number three nationally in total offense. Now, total offense, that certainly can be a misleading stat. But again, we're top eight also in yards per play. It's not like we're some team that just runs a ton of plays with tempo and runs 90, 100 plays a game, but isn't all that efficient from a down-to-down basis. That's not the case at all. We have been largely efficient all season long. Also, here's this. I know that pro football focus can be hit or miss at times. In the past, historically, I've often hesitated to use their numbers all that much on this podcast because I think their process is rather nebulous. I don't think there's a ton of transparency in how they go about grading players and teams. But it is another measure that can throw at you guys. So just take it with a grain of salt. Pro football focus. I'm going to give you guys some numbers today for these different position groups. But again, like I always say, just like take it for what it is. Take it with a grain of salt, but it's just another measure. So overall, our offense, according to PFF's grades, pro football focus, we are ninth nationally with a 93.9 overall offensive grade. We are 10th nationally with our passing grade of 93.9, and we are 24th nationally with a run grade of 85.9. So if pro football focus was the only measure out there telling that the Georgia offense was good, that'd be one thing, but it's not. It's just another in a series of statistical measures or grades or analysis that tell you that this offense is operating at a high level right now. In fact, we are right on pace with the 2022 Georgia offense, a 2022 Georgia offense, by the way, that the majority of Georgia fans view as one of the, if not the greatest offense in Georgia football history. Just listen to the numbers, guys. In 2023, right now, we are averaging 509 yards per game, 7.13 yards per play, and 40.1 points per game. Last season, we averaged 501 yards per game, 7.17 yards per play, and 41.1 points per game. Now, certainly the caveat is, and I recognize this, I will I will readily admit it, we have not played the best teams on our schedule to this point. Those numbers from 2022 factor in all the best teams that we played last year, including two playoff games and an SEC championship game and a season opener against a really good Oregon team. I, I readily admit that. That certainly is the caveat here. But regardless the reality is this offense, this Georgia offense this season has been highly productive. It's been very, very good. Has it been as good as last year? No, I would not say that it has been as good as last year. It has not. It hasn't been as consistent. Although I do think at times we have a little bit of revisionist history when we talk about last year's team, but we did ultimately end up winning the national championship. We all remember what happened in Columbia, Missouri. 26 points in that game, right? Got out of there alive, but barely. We all remember what happened in Lexington, Kentucky. I know it was a, a, a crazy weather game, insanely cold, one of the coldest games I've ever been to in my life, maybe the coldest game I've ever been to in my life. 16 points in that game though, guys. Samford, Kent State, we were not hitting on all cylinders game in and game out last year either. And that's really been the case this year. It, it has been, like we have been inconsistent. There've been halves of football where it's like, what is happening? Like, do you guys even know how to play football? But then there've been other halves of football where it's like, oh, okay, okay. I see what this offense is about. 
And on top of that, we're doing this. We've done this the first half of the season with a lot of new parts and a lot of injuries that we've had to deal with. Our best receiver in Lad McConkie has essentially been a non-factor all year. I know he had a few nice first down catches against Auburn, which ultimately ended up being big in that game, sure. But he has not been a big part of this offense. I mean, he missed the first four games dealing with that lingering back injury. He's been back for the last three games, but he's not playing a full load right now. He's clearly not quite yet to 100%. So that certainly set this offense back a little bit. And you have two receivers, maybe two of our most talented receivers in Dominic Lovett and Rara Thomas, who, yes, they led their respective teams in receiving last year, but they're coming to a new system that asked them to do different things and operate in different ways. And so they were they spent the first half of the season kind of getting up to speed, certainly with Rara Thomas coming over from the air raid system. And then running back, I mean, dear Lord, I know we'll get to running back later, but I mean, talk about a mash unit. And then you lose Amarius Mims in the third game of the season, which caused us to like kind of reshuffle things on the offensive line. Carson Beck, who has been spectacular, which we'll get to here, I guess, Charlie, momentarily. But I mean, he's a first-year starter. There's also no Darnell Washington. We don't have the receiving threat out of the backfield that we had last year. So if you factor in all of those issues, I think it's incredibly impressive that our offense is where it is right now, nationally and inside the SEC. We've also seen what the potential of this Georgia offense is when it operates at peak performance. Guys, we played a good Kentucky defense back on October 7th. I'm not saying that's an elite Kentucky defense, but it is a good SEC defense. And we dropped 608 yards on that team. 608 yards, 8.3 yards per play. Now, we have not played like that on a consistent basis, but... In three of our last four games, we've gone for 552 or more in 7.1 yards per play or more. This offense has done things that the 2022 Georgia offense never did. And yes, again, I know, caveat obviously being the competition level has not been overwhelming to this point. That is going to kick up in a big way these next five games coming out of the bye week. But I think we've seen a lot of really positive signs from this offense. The slow starts are what keeps it from being like an A or A+. plus. I mean, the slow starts, the first couple games this season were an issue. I mean, we, we can't gloss over that. That absolutely was an issue. So I was talking about earlier, some halves of football were not great. But at the end of the day, this offense, when you look at production, has been highly productive. And in my opinion, I know Curtis and I hopefully will be able to get to the defense tomorrow. One way or another, we'll talk about the defense tomorrow. But the offense has been ahead of the defense this year, guys. Our offense, I talked about this last week, has led this team, which is not what you typically say about a Kirby Smart-led Georgia football team. But that has been the case. I'm not saying the defense has been bad. The defense has not been bad. But the offense has been better than the defense to this point, whether it's efficiency ratings at the FEI, whether it's total offense or total defense, whether it's yards per play, scoring, whatever. The offense has been ahead of the defense. And to this point, for all those reasons, I have the offense at an A- minus overall. But all right, guys, and Charlie, I can see you fired up and ready to go on to the next part. But before we move on, let's take a quick break here. It's a good stopping point for our first break. And let's just remind everyone once again about my bookie. You guys have watched a lot of college football at this point. And I know now, after watching all that college football, you have a much better feel for all these teams. So take that feel, take that knowledge, and use it to your advantage by signing up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. I know a lot of you have already done that, but if you haven't yet, you're missing out. But there's still time. It's all good. There's still time. Go to mybookie.ag. And here's the cool thing, guys. They have two great promo codes for you guys to choose from. You can use our promo code UGA at mybookie.ag to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit for 
all new users. But if you want to avoid the playthrough, you can use the other code 200cash. You get a cash bonus with no strings attached, no playthrough attached, added directly to your account. You just bet your deposit and boom, that's your money to do whatever you want to do with it. So there, there's that option as well. But guys, my bookie has a ton of great features for you guys. They have a cash out early parlay that I've made some use of this year. I know a lot of you have made use of. They have a ton of, of live betting options. They have a bunch of, of parlays that you can choose from. They have prize pools. So many ways for you guys to make money. So jump in on the action today at mybookie.ag and bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. After waiting his turn for three seasons, Carson Beck had the difficult task of following up the greatest season from a quarterback in UGA football history with Stetson Bennett's run to his second national championship and his appearance in New York as a Heisman finalist. Do you, is it, do you really think that was the best quarterback season in Georgia history? Probably. I think, yeah. I mean, it has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. Good call. But how would you grade Beck through the first half of his first season as Georgia's starting quarterback? I mean, Charlie, he's been borderline spectacular. Maybe that word's a little bit strong, but I think at the very least we can say that he has exceeded all reasonable expectations through the first seven games this 2023 football season. I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone out there. I don't know what everyone's expectations were, but he has certainly exceeded my expectations. And I had pretty high expectations for Carson coming into this season, guys. You know that if you listen to the, to the show during the offseason. But as a first-year starter, this guy has been unbelievably good. No, just like the offense, he has not been perfect. But perfection is not the standard that I hold our quarterback to. I know some fans tend to do that. That's not what I do. No one is perfect. Carson is not perfect either. Of course, like a lot of you out there, I would certainly like to see Carson hit some of those vertical shots down the field with a little bit more consistency. But this guy has been in control. He's been poised. He has been accurate he processes at an extraordinarily high level guys I mean seriously go back I know a lot of you do this but go back and rewatch these games and look at how this dude is processing what defenses are doing him pre-snap post-snap he is doing it at an extremely high level he knows what defenses are trying to do to him. He understands coverages. He has answers to everything the defense is doing. It doesn't mean that he makes the right decision on every single play. It doesn't mean that every ball is exactly on the money, but the vast majority are, and he makes the right decision on the vast majority of plays. We are, as far as I'm concerned, extremely lucky to have Carson Beck, and we are extremely lucky that this guy did not pack his bags and transfer like 99% of the quarterbacks in his situation would have done. This guy has been out of this world good for a first-year starter, especially considering all the issues, all the injuries that he had to deal with offensively. And just like with the offense as a whole, I'm going to throw some numbers at you here, guys. I'm not going to throw one number. I'm not going to throw two numbers at you. I'm going to throw a series of numbers at you to show you that Carson Beck statistically is performing at, dare I say, an elite level, at least certainly approaching that. So let's start off here. Right now, Carson is eight nationally in passing yards per game. He's 12th nationally in yards per attempt. He's 6th nationally in completion percentage. He has a 90.7 grade on Pro Football Focus, which is top 15 nationally. And again, guys, he is a first year starter. As great as Stetson Bennett was for us, guys. Do you remember Stetson as a first year starter? Hell, do you remember Stetson as a second year starter? He wasn't coming close to touching these numbers. Now, last year, yes, 2022 Stetson was was different. That dude was flat out elite. But 2020 Stetson, 2021 Stetson, I mean, that was better than 2020 version of Stetson, but wasn't what we saw in 2022. Carson 
has been lights freaking out in his first year. So I don't, actually, I don't think I actually gave the grade. So let me give the grade. I've got Carson at an A minus, just like the offense as a whole. I have him at an A minus, not an A, A plus, because I, I do see what a lot of you see. There are some times where I think he needs to be more accurate down the field. And I want to see us activate that vertical passing game on a more consistent basis. But this guy's smart. He's making good decisions. He's protecting the football. He is consistently keeping this offense in good situations. But on top of that, I just described like a game manager, right? But on top of that, he is actually making plays. I mean, some of the throws this guy's making, that throw he made against Kentucky to, I think, was it Love It, I want to say, in the first half, the first quarter of that game, that downfield shot. I mean, what an unbelievable throw. I mean, it's a layer throw on the money, hits the guy in stride so he can continue to run. I mean, those are the things I'm talking about. Carson is a playmaker. He is making plays. And he's been clutch, guys. Second half against South Carolina, down 14-3, this man is not blink. He comes out there and just puts together a hell of a second half. On the road, fourth quarter against Auburn. He wasn't great in the first half, but Carson was lights out when it mattered the most. And that clutch gene, you have it or you don't, man. Not everyone's got that. Carson has it. And I think that has to factor into this grade. Not only are the numbers borderline elite, or maybe just flat elite, depending on how you define elite, but he's doing it when it matters, when the lights are the brightest, when we've got to have it. He's doing it. He's showing up when we need this man to show up. And here's the cool thing, guys. I know that Brock is out, and that's certainly going to hurt. No doubt about it. You don't lose a guy like Brock and, and not feel that. But Carson is getting better each and every week, guys. And I know that we're about to hit a tough stretch here. We are. I don't care what people say about our schedule. Our schedule is looking a lot tougher now, isn't it, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. But Carson is going to be at his best. He's going to be better this these last five games than he was the first seven games because that's what he's shown us all throughout the year. He's gotten better with each and every game. He's gotten more and more comfortable, which is very, very encouraging for what we're going to have to face here the back half of this season. Now, tight end with Brock Bowers being probably the best player in the country, our tight end room has once again been operating at a very high level, but without Darnell Washington, the blocking hasn't been as strong. So what grade would you give the tight end room at this point? Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this one, Charlie. Brock Bowers is the best player in college football when he is healthy, which unfortunately he will not be for the next couple of weeks. This man was on pace to break Georgia's single season receiving records, on pace to become the second receiver in Georgia history, or pass catcher, I should say, in Georgia history, to go for over 1,000 yards in a single season. He was on pace to become the third player, only the third player in Georgia history to be a three-time All-American. But unfortunately, with this injury, none of that is going to happen now. But if we're talking about what he did in the first half of the season, the guy was unbelievable. Unbelievable, guys. And him alone, just his presence alone makes this room, it has to be an A something, right? A, A plus, A minus. I'm going to give this room an A minus. Here's why. Obviously, if we're just talking about Brock, it's going to be an A plus, but it's not just Brock there. Oscar Dell has, I think, played very well in his first year as a major part of this offense. He played in spot duty last year when, when he got opportunities. And obviously, Darnell Washington goes down in the Peach Bowl to step in. He played admirably in, in that game as well. Oscar has been good for us. I think he's taken a lot of heat for his blocking, and I think that's largely deserving. He has not been a great blocker, but I said this last week. I'm going to say this again. I actually wrote a piece about this on Dogs Daily. I want people to realize that Oscar Delp, in my opinion, is essentially playing out of position. Now, I know you're probably shaking your head saying, what are you talking about, dude? Like, he's a tight end. He's playing tight end. Yes, yes, I understand that he's a tight end. Yes, he is playing tight end. That is indeed true. But there is a difference 
in the tight end position that he is being asked, with the tight end role, I should say, that he is being asked to play and the tight end role that Brock Bowers has been playing since day one here in Athens. Oscar Delp has essentially been asked to be Darnell Washington this year. We are using him in a very, very similar role to the way in which we used Darnell Washington last year. Oscar has played 259 snaps for us this year, according to Pro Football Focus. 197 of those, 76% of his snaps have been inline snaps. We have absolutely been using him in the Darnell Washington role. And newsflash, Oscar Delp is not Darnell Washington. And that's not to say that Oscar cannot be as impactful as Darnell. He just cannot be as impactful as Darnell the way that Darnell was impactful for our offense because he's not 6'7", 280. He's 6'5", 245, being asked to do what a 6'7", 280 freak did in the blocking game for our offense. So yes, when you criticize his blocking ability, you are correct to do so. He has not been great as a blocker. That's clear to anyone who's actually watching Georgia football games. He's done an admirable job. He's been solid-ish at times, but there are plenty of plays that have gotten blown up because Oscar Delp missed a block. Where that's in line, where that's when he's spread out in the, in the screen game, he has not been overly proficient as a blocker. That's certainly fair to say. And that is why I have downgraded the tight end room's overall grade to an A-. But here's the encouraging thing. I know this doesn't really factor into the grade because we're talking about what's going to happen in the future, not what's happened the, the first seven games of the season, which is really what the report card is all about, a midseason report card is all about. But I am very excited to see what Oscar can do when he is now likely going to be utilized far more in the role that Brock Bowers played in our offense because that is what Oscar Delp's skill set is fit to do. That's what this dude did in high school to make him the number one overall tight end in the country coming out of high school. He has that receiving athleticism skill set that Brock Bowers did. Now, is he Brock? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he's far more similar in what makes him unique and him special to Brock Bowers than he is to Darnell Washington. Unfortunately for Oscar, he's been asked to, again, essentially play out of position, do something, play a role that he is not equipped to do, but now he is going to have the opportunity to play a role that he is equipped to do, a role that aligns far more with what his skill set is. So I don't know if excited is the right word because I'm obviously not excited that Brock Bowers is not playing that role because Brock Bowers is the best player in college football, but I am intrigued maybe to see what Oscar can do when he gets more looks in that role. Now, I don't know exactly how we're going to use it. I don't think we're going to use Oscar in the screen game the way that we use Brock in the screen game. He's, he's a great athlete, but he's not like that type of guy. Like He's just not what Brock is, but he is a really good athlete for that position, has great ball skills, really strong receiving skills. This guy has made plays in the passing game when he's been given opportunities. It's just been few and far between because we're feeding the ball to the beast that is Brock Bowers. So I am. I am excited for Oscar to have this opportunity. I think he's going to make the most of it. I'm curious to see how much 12 personnel we continue to use. Lawson Lucky will obviously now play the role that Oscar was playing. But again, overall, I would say A- minus with Oscars, um, I could say inconsistencies, I guess is the right word, as a blocker. All right, Charlie, what's up next? The Georgia wide receiver core has been banged up all season, but... One of many position groups have been banged up all season, Right, yes. but finally, fingers crossed, getting healthy this late in the season, halfway through. But the Dogs are second in the SEC in passing offense, just three yards per game behind LSU, so they've been doing something right. Right? Right? I mean, hey, yeah. I, the numbers speak for themselves. It hasn't been 
pretty inconsistent, but it's been largely good. So give us your grade for the wide receivers through the first seven games. This one's tough, Charlie, because we have been banged up. We all know that Lev McConkie missed the first four games, hasn't truly been 100% healthy, hasn't been a major factor in the offense to this point. Marcus Rosemi Jackson has missed a game. Jackson Meeks, who's not really a major factor in the offense, but he's he's missed some games. And we've had, like I said earlier, two guys in Dominic Lovett and Rob Rod Thomas, who, yes, led their respective teams in receiving last year, both SEC teams, by the way, but they're coming into a new system, a new offense, being asked to do different things, having to get up to speed, and that's taken some time. So it, it's kind of tough, but you know what? We're going to give it our best shot here. I am going to give the wide receiver unit to this point a, a solid B. We don't have one receiver to this point that's been elite, has been a featured guy, because we have this guy named Brock Bowers, so none of the receivers are going to be featured. But I'm going to give a guy named like Marcus Rosemey Jackson a lot of credit here. This guy, as a senior, has come on really strong as a play-making wide receiver. Throughout his career, this guy has been a complimentary piece. He has been a guy that is just a force on the perimeter in the, in the perimeter blocking game, and he's been an ultimate team player, but he's never really been a a feature part of the offense. I'm not going to call him a feature part of the offense, but this guy has 18 receptions, 333 yards in the year, 18.5 yards per reception, two touchdowns. He's legitimately making plays in the passing game in a way that he has not done throughout his career. He was a guy that I felt had the potential to do that coming to this season, and he has done exactly what I thought that he could do. I didn't know if he would do it, but I thought he had the potential, and he has certainly shown me that he can be that guy. Dominic Lovett is a guy that we're still waiting to see him like really break out as an explosive threat in our passing game. We have used him primarily in the RPO game. He's a guy that we're trying to get the ball to in space to see if he can make some guys miss. He does have a little wiggle. He's got that quick twitch, and he's fast, guys. He's an explosive player. Now, Dominic Lovett has traditionally operated when he was at Missouri very efficiently and effectively out of the slot. Now, he's played in the slot for us a large amount this year, but Brock Bowers has also played in that spot. And again, when you have Brock Bowers, you're going to feature that guy. He's going to get the majority of those looks. And so Dominic Lovett in the drop-back pass game has not gotten as many of those looks, but he can be that guy. He's been that guy before, guys. He didn't just forget how to do those things, running the slot fade, running across the middle of the field, hurting defenses with whip routes, option routes, dig routes. He can do those things. And I think now with Brock out, he's going to get more of those opportunities and I fully expect him to become more of an explosive playmaker in this offense like he was for Missouri. Right now, I mean, he's got 31 catches. He's the second leading receiver on the team behind Brock Bowers. He's the leader among all receivers that aren't tight ends with 31 catches, but only has 282 yards, only 9.1 yards per attempt. And that is not very Dominic Lovett-esque. This guy averaged over 15 yards per reception last year for Missouri. But in the role that he has been asked to play, I think he's been largely effective. Ra Ra Thomas certainly had some growing pains early in the season, transitioning from an air raid system to what we run with our more pro-style offense, which is a much bigger transition I think the average college football fan understands. There's very little that translates from what receivers are asked to do in the air raid to what they're asked to do in our offense. So he had to get up to speed. And he did. He missed a lot of time in spring practice, which certainly set him back a little bit. But this guy is really coming on, and really he's figuring out what to do. He's getting more comfortable in our system. He's not thinking as much. He's just playing, right? He's playing more than he was early in the year. And when he's able to do that, he is showing us 
the type of plays that he can make. Like Rosemi Jack saying, he has become a playmaker. He has made some big-time plays for us. That play he made, kind of juggling catch against Auburn, the, the over-the-shoulder touchdown catch on the fade against Kentucky, where he's kind of touching the, the sideline there right in the end zone. That's a spectacular catch. And those are the things that Ra Ra Thomas can do. Again, he led Mississippi State in receiving last year. So he, he has not been perfect. And the first part of the season was not particularly good. It was a, a non-factor, more or less, for the first couple of games. But he is becoming more and more of a factor as the season progresses. Arian Smith has had, um, he's he's a guy that, man, if, he, if we got more out of him, this might be like a B-plus kind of thing. But he's just still struggling, man. He, he's he's really, right now, he's in a kind of a funk. He's a guy that we need, man. Like, if we really want to activate the vertical passing game, I mean, who better do that than Arian Smith? I mean, this guy legitimately could be considered one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player in college football, with his legit track speed, verified track speed, 10 100-meter type stuff. But he's dropped three passes over the last three games that I can remember, and two of them were big-time play opportunities, like big play opportunities, and they were right in his hands, and just he just dropped them. So he can get behind defenses. He can help us. He's just got to get out of this funk a little bit and get some confidence. And I'm not going to give up on the guy because he can change a game in a moment's notice, like we saw last year against Ohio State, but he hasn't been great. Like we have to be real, he has not been great. I've seen some really positive things from a young guy like C.J. Smith, and he's got an opportunity, especially early in the year. We were dealing with some injuries. Makai Muse has done some good things for us, not so much lately, but more more early in the season. So I think overall, like it has not been a spectacular first half of the season for the wide receivers, but I think it's been solid. I think they've been effective doing what they have been asked to do. But all right, guys, before we move on, we got a couple more I think to, to run through today. I do. I do want to quickly remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, it's getting chilly. I know that it's going to be warm in Jacksonville next week. That's that's great. But when we go back home in a couple weeks, play Missouri, play Ole Miss, it's going to be chilly, guys. So it is time, if you haven't already, to get your new Georgia cold weather gear. And Alumni Hall, guys, they got a ton of options for you. A great selection, new stuff coming in. It seems like daily. They've got hoodies. They've got Q-zips. They've got full zips. They've got jackets. Whatever it is that you're looking for. Fleeces. People love fleeces. They've got it, guys. Trust me. I was in there last week again because I'm in there seemingly once a week. And they are loaded up with new cold weather gear, guys. So make sure to either stop in today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or I know that not all of you are in the Athens area, but it's all good. You can still get the same great selection online at alumnihall.com. It's a great shopping experience of everything right there for you guys. You can, you can filter it, look for exactly what you want, and they will have it to you fast. And they always ship it with a nice little touch that no one else does. So online is a great option too. But wherever you are, whether you're in Athens or not, make sure, do yourself a favor, and shop at Alumni Hall because that is where the Bulldog shop. All right, we have two left. In a season in which the Bulldogs have dealt with an unprecedented injury situation, no position has been more impacted by injury than the running back room. Starter Branson Robinson went down for the season in fall camp. Dejan Edwards missed the first two games. Kendall Milton has been in and out of the lineup, more out than in. And we haven't seen freshman Roderick Robinson in uniform since week three. It's been a tough first half of the season, but how would you rate or grade the running back position at this point, if you even can. Yeah, that's that's the thing, Charlie. Can we actually give this group a grade at this point with all the injuries that they've had to deal with? But you know what? This is our midseason report card episode, so we're going to give it our best shot. And when I look at this running back room, yes, you're exactly right, Charlie. They have been banged up. I've never seen 
a Georgia running back room, any, I don't know if any position this banged up. But I think, even despite all that, they've performed at a solid level. So I'm going to give this running back group a B-. And here's why. Could you go with a C? Sure, I, I guess I would be okay. I wouldn't argue too much with that. But we are still, despite all the injuries at the running back position and on the offensive line, which I guess we'll get to here in a few minutes, we're still fifth in the league in rushing offense. Now, it's not where it was last year. We are only averaging 5.07 yards per rush and 172 yards rushing per game right now, which is solid. But it's, again, not where it was last year. Last year, we averaged 5.5 yards per rush, 205 rushing yards per game. And we really have not played a ton of great defenses. Kentucky's a good, solid SEC defense. Auburn's also a good, solid SEC defense when they're not playing LSU. But neither one of those two defenses are elite by any stretch of the imagination. And honestly, I don't know if we're going to face an elite defense all during the regular season. Tennessee will probably be the closest to that. That's a good defense, guys. Tennessee has a really good defense. Missouri's fine. They're okay. Uh, Ole Miss is better than they have been, but still fine-ish, okay-ish. Florida has been very up and down against the run. They completely stifled Tennessee's run game, which was shocking because Tennessee runs the ball very, very well. And then they turn around and give over 300 yards rushing to Kentucky. And they let South Carolina, who's been a very bad rushing offense, I don't want to say run all over them, but run the ball very effectively, very efficiently against them a couple weeks back. But regardless, the numbers are, are solid right now. Again, our pro football focus rushing grade it's top 25 nationally. So it's hard for me to say our running backs are below the B level. Like I got them as B minus when you factor in some of those numbers. But it has been hard to come by. I think that's fair to say. We haven't been overly explosive in the rush game. We got more of that against Vanderbilt than we had at any point this season. Dajan Edwards is really why this is a B minus because Dajan has been a revelation at running back. He missed the first couple of games dealing with an MCL injury that he was dealing with. He's a minor-ish MCL injury. And this guy has come in after being very, very under-recruited, only getting a scholarship offer to Georgia because of the whole Zach Evans fiasco. And he spent the first two years of his career here in Athens just, I mean, garbage time role. That's what the guy was last year. He got his opportunity, made the most of it, and earned a role on this team, especially on the goal line. And this year, he is our feature back. Like, this is a feature back in the SEC. I know he doesn't look like your typical feature back. I know that he doesn't have the recruiting profile of your typical feature back in the SEC. He's the lightest recruited running back that we have on the roster, guys. But this guy has been nothing short of awesome for us since he's got back from injury. He is incredibly twitchy, elusive. He makes people miss in the hole in a way that no one else in our running back room has the ability to do. He can make the offensive line right when they're actually wrong and with his ability to make people miss. And he runs deceptively hard for a guy his size. He is a South Georgia Colquitt County product. I've said it before. He's just one of those dudes. He does it the right way. He's a throwback. He doesn't talk junk. He just puts his head down. The dude goes to work. And I love him for that. Those kind of guys are few and far between in college football these days. Increasingly few and far between in college football, in the NFL, and high school football. You just don't see guys like that. And I love it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm old now, man. I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. And so I... I that's how I was raised. That's how I was taught to play. And when I see guys play like that, I love it. I mean, truly, guys, Dejan Edwards has single-handedly kept this running back room afloat. He's top 10 in the SEC in yards per rush and in rushing yards, despite missing two full games of action. 
He's been awesome. He, again, has been nothing short of awesome for us. And Kendall Milton, who has been in and out of the lineup, as Charlie said, with injuries. Yes, I like what you said there, Charlie. More out than in. But when Kendall has been in, I don't want to say when he's been healthy because I don't know if he's ever been fully healthy this year. And I, got, I have to give Kendall a lot of credit for going out, there, especially the first couple of games of the season. He was not even close to fully healthy, guys. But he, kn- he knew that we needed him, so he went out there and and played for us despite the fact that he was not feeling 100% and despite the fact that he could have injured himself even more. So I got to give him a lot of props for that. But when he's been on the field and been like close to healthy, which he's getting closer, it seems like, these last couple weeks, he's been a force. He's been really, really good, guys. And he's actually running the ball with power, more power than I've seen him run the ball at any point in his career. He's showing his his great footwork in space, ability to make people miss in space, which we haven't seen a ton from him because he hasn't been healthy a ton in his career. But when he's been on the field... He has been effective for us, which is a really encouraging sign. I really am hopeful that he can be healthy down the stretch run. I hope that this bye week has been really, really rejuvenative for him because we're going to need that guy. If we have Kendall and Dajan operating that way as a one-two punch, all of a sudden this running back room is, is different, right? Like that's, that's big time. So I'm hopeful. And if that is the case, this running back room by the time we get to the end of the season might go from a B- minus to a B plus. I don't know if we'll ever get to A range, but can certainly move up a little bit. Roger Robinson hasn't played, as Charlie said, you know, in a while since, what, we three against South Carolina. So um, it's tough to really throw him into the equation. When he was playing, certainly left a little bit to be desired. He's a young guy. He's going to be good. He's a young guy. Just trying to figure out how to play at this level. Cash Jones has been a really nice complimentary piece for us. He's not a guy that's going to run the ball with a ton of efficiency between the tackles. He's done solid when he's gotten opportunities, but he has given us something as a receiver on the backfield. Certainly not what Kenny McIntosh gave us, but what was that against, I want to say, South Carolina? Really nice over-the-shoulder catch. Somebody can double-check me on that. Might not have been South Carolina, but one of those games, nice over-the-shoulder touchdown catch, which was great to see. He has a role in this team. He has physical limitations, but he is a good complimentary piece in this backfield for this Georgia running back room. So, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a spectacular unit. I mean, we can't sit here and say that, but I think a B- minus is fair for this unit. Lastly, with four of five starters from the college football playoff back this season, including likely future first-rounder Amarius Mims and third-year starter and Cedric Van Pran, we came into this season looking at this offensive line as a potential Joe Moore award winner, but this unit has been plagued by inconsistencies. Mims went down with a high ankle sprain against South Carolina, which caused some shuffling up front, and the results have been mixed. Tyler, I know you've been frustrated with this unit throughout the season, so what grade are you giving this unit at the midway point? Oh, Charlie, I don't know. I, I, I've gone back and forth in this. I don't want to rip them too much because I do think they've done some good things. But we all know, you're exactly right. I think the word inconsistencies that you use, I think that's the right word to use this offensive line. So I am going to go B minus, just like I did with the running backs. I'm going to go B minus here. Now, hear me out. Now, if we were just doing this, basing this exclusively off of run blocking, would it be in the C range? Yeah. Yeah, almost certainly. But that's not all that an offensive line is asked to do. In pass pro, protecting Carson Beck, they've been exceptional. We are first in the SEC in top 10 nationally in sacks allowed. We have only allowed six sacks on the season, guys. To put that into perspective for you, the next closest team in the SEC, which is Kentucky, has given up 11 sacks this season. So we are far and away the best offensive line in terms of protecting Carson Beck. Now, the other side of the equation, 
the run blocking, I do very much share all of your frustrations. And I know you are frustrated because I get a lot of questions from you guys that express that frustration. And I certainly share those frustrations. Honestly, it's quite baffling at times. I know we were introducing one new starter to open the season and Ernest Green at left tackle. But even before Mims went down, we, we got two and a half games with him. Before he went down, it was just staggering how ineffective we were in the run game. A group of guys, Charlie, you said it, four out of five starters returning from both college playoff games a year ago in which the offensive line performed very well in both those games. And we come in the season as UT Martin and Ball State, and it's like they've never played together before. It's like some of those guys have never played college football before. I mean, you have preseason All-SEC, All-American guys, completely whiffing, blowing assignments. It wasn't all the time, but it was too much of the time. Again, like you said, Charlie, inconsistencies. That's the key word. Inconsistencies in the run game. Sometimes we're getting movement. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we know who to block up front. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get to the second level really well and create room for the back. Sometimes we don't. And that's what's baffling, guys. We've seen these guys do it before. We've seen them do it at times this season. Why can you not do it more consistently? It's honestly defying logic at this point. Look, I know with Mims going down, like, like Charlie said, we had to shuffle the, the lineup a little bit. I had to move Xavier Truss out from left guard to right tackle. Had to insert Dylan Fairchild, who has been good at times, but like the entire offensive line as a whole has been up and down, has been inconsistent. And then we had to insert him at left guard. Michael Morris has gotten some time in there as well. I think Morris has played it really well. In fact, I think he, at times he's playing better than Fairchild, but we continue to go with Fairchild, who's, who is playing well. He's getting better. It's his first time really being a factor in meaningful game time. He's getting better. He's improving. I like his toughness. I like his physicality. But there's no excuse for guys like Cedric Van Pram and Tate Ratledge being as inconsistent as they have been. Now, I want to give Cedric credit. I think the last two, maybe last three games in SEC play have been his best games of the season. But the first couple games of the year, guys, Cedric Van Pram was not playing anywhere close to an all-SEC level. It just wasn't. He was getting pushed back. He was falling off of blockers. He was not doing a great job at all. A very poor job, actually, of getting up to the second level. Honestly, I expected far more out of him to open the season. Now, we're getting what I was hoping we would get out of Cedric the last couple of games. So that's very, very encouraging. So that has to factor in as well. It wasn't great to open the season, but it's been better. I think you can say the same thing about Tate Ratledge. Was not great the first couple of weeks. Did not build off of a really strong end to the 2022 season. But like Van Pran, he has got it together. He's playing at a much higher level. Now, is he playing as consistently as I would like to see him play? No, he's not getting the movement I like to see him get on a consistent basis. He does it from time to time, which is like, well, I know you can do it, man. So why don't you do that every time? Or at least the majority of the time. Again, just baffling at times. Ernest Green at left tackle was a borderline disaster. I don't use that word lightly, guys. The first two games, especially the first game against UT Martin, I was like, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into here at left tackle? But you have to put it into perspective, right? First career start, first time playing any snaps really at the college level, missed most of last year with a back injury, which is a really tough injury to recover from and come back from. And you can see the athleticism, that, that is apparent, but it was also apparent that he did not really feel comfortable out there the first couple of weeks, did not know what to do, was looking around and pass pro like, who am I supposed to block? Was looking around and, and, and on run plays like, who am I supposed to block? And just generally not doing a very good job. 
But as you would expect and as you would hope, he has certainly picked up his level of play as the season has progressed. He's playing at a solid level right now. I wouldn't say he's playing at a high level right now, but he's certainly playing at a much higher level than he did early in the year. And he's playing good enough for us to continue to run the football better and better seemingly each game. He's done a better job in pass pro game. We've only got six sacks as a team. He's been better. And he has a very high ceiling, guys. He's a highly rated guy coming out of high school. He's got the athleticism. He's got the footwork to be a really good left tackle force. It's just a matter of him getting more experience, more comfort at that spot. And we're starting to see that. We're seeing him develop on the fly here. And then finally, it's certainly, as Charlie said, it doesn't help when the one guy you have on your roster, who I'm pretty sure is going to be a first-round draft pick, at least on the offensive line, in Amarius Mims, him being out since halfway through the third game of the season with a high ankle sprain has been difficult. Not only do we have to shuffle the lineup, but he, I mean, he is, he's the guy on offensive line with the highest ceiling. He is the biggest physical freak along our offensive line. And not having him for the vast majority of SEC play to this point has been a challenge for us. I'm very hopeful that we can get him back for Florida. I don't know if that's going to be the case. We're talking about a high angle sprain. Different guys recover at different rates. He did, like Brock, have the tightrope surgery, which would make the prognosis typically four to six weeks. Next Saturday against Florida would make six weeks exactly. So I'm I'm hopeful, but with offensive linemen, these are bigger dudes, right? So they put a lot more weight on on these body parts, on, on the ankle, on the foot. So I don't know. It's Again, it's an inexact science. Four to six weeks, that's why you had the surgery, to reduce the recovery time. So I think it's certainly possible that he could be back for Florida. I'm very hopeful. I, I don't know yet. We'll, we'll obviously hear from Kirby on Monday, so we'll get a better idea. But I think there's certainly a chance there. Now, if he is back, is he going to be 100%? That, that's, I don't know that. I mean, <laughs> there's no way for us to know that right now. But I, I think um, an 85, 90% Amarius Mims is better than 100% Xavier Truss, at, at least at right tackle. And honestly, I don't know. Trust might be the odd man out. I mean, I, Fairchild, although he has had some inconsistencies himself, is playing, I think, at a higher level than Trust was at, le- at left guard prior to having to move over to right tackle. So I don't know. That remains to be seen. But I think there's a chance Mims can get back. That certainly will help this offensive line. But yeah, to wrap this thing up, all in all, I think if you factor in how we've done protecting Carson Beck in pass pro and you combine that with the, the run blocking issues, the inconsistency issues there, I think a B- is fair for this offensive line. Certainly has not lived with my expectations, though. I mean, I, I mentioned Carson Beck has exceeded all my expectations. The offensive line, I did have very high expectations this year because why would you not? The runner-up for the Joe Moore Award last year, four to five stars coming back from the college football playoff games, and they just have not performed like I expected them to and like we need them to. So I'm hoping we get Mims back. I think we're starting to round more into form, but we are going to have to have this group perform at a much higher level these last five games of the regular season. All right, well, I guess that's it, Charlie. That's all the offensive positions, right? That's all for the offensive side of the ball. All right, Charlie, I appreciate you being here once again. Thank you. I know, like, literally, guys, Charlie, I sent her a text, and within, like, 10 seconds, she responded, and she's like, I'm on my way. So, Charlie, start the podcast. There's a reason why you start the podcast, and this is exactly why you start the podcast. So, thank you for being here, and I guess we'll see you at the end of the week for the Picks of the Week. Yep. Have a great week, everybody. You going to Jacksonville? Yes. You don't sound too excited. I mean, the weather should be nice, so that's nice. But it's, I'm, I don't know. I'm a party pooper. We all know. Well, I'm gl- I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I'm glad you have that self-awareness, but. It can be scary. Jackson, some people I mean, well, get out of control. Down, we all know downtown Jacksonville. For anyone that lives in Jacksonville, I know we have some listeners. There are many parts of Jacksonville that are wonderful. It's a wonderful city. But the downtown part is a cesspool. Well, no, I'm just saying, And, like, and the people, and yes, the, the, Florida li- li- fans. the Florida fans lining the streets there in the parking lots as you're walking the stadium. Yeah, it's a little intimidating. As long as we win, it's okay. But, like, 
the times where we've lost, it's like, I might die. I don't know. I just feel like everyone's a little too aggressive. Well, I mean, that, that's, yes, that is generally an accurate statement. that makes statement. me very uncomfortable. Get one of the rickshaws, Charlie. Just go. <laughs> Hop in the rickshaw and go. I could run faster than that. I mean, probably, but still it's faster than walking. I just run. Run away. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, but again, thank you, Charlie, for being here. Lifesaver, we appreciate you. As for the rest of the week, guys, again, hopefully we will have Curtis back tomorrow to do part two of our Missy's report card, focusing on the defensive side of the ball. I can't make any promises there because I, I don't know. We'll see. But if he's not back, maybe Charlie will come back and, and jump in here again. Or if not, I will do it solo. We'll have it covered for you guys one way or another. But you guys know we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for all of your support today. Yesterday, all throughout the season, guys, we really, really do appreciate you. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler. And of course, as always, go dogs!